0: Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you joining me today. I know you're going to get a lot of value out of today's chat. I was very fortunate to be joined by Nick Popovich. He is the High Performance Manager and the Strength and Conditioning Coach at Melbourne's NBL team, Melbourne United. Um, he has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. He's a great guy, and uh, it was a really enjoyable chat. And as I said, there's a lot of value there for absolutely everybody, particularly those that are interested in sport and um, obviously basketball in itself. But there's a lot of uh, gold nuggets to take away for, for everybody who is interested in training and getting the most out of their body. So a big thanks to Nick, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Of course, as always, if you do, please do take a screenshot and post it up on your Instagram story for me. I'd love to hear some feedback from today's show. Nick, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, mate. Um, I'm pumped to have you on and I'm looking forward to to what we're going to cover in today's episode. So thanks for joining me.
1: Absolutely, mate. Really appreciate you reaching out and uh, definitely keen to throw some things out there and, and have a good chat after a few months
0: away. Yeah, it's been a few months since we've uh, we've seen each other and... Before we got stuck into the interview, I've just been checking out that unbelievable man cave of a gym that you've got there up in Sydney. So um, before we get stuck into the content, mate, what have you been up to the last couple of months to keep yourself busy?
1: Well, as you just mentioned, i spent most of my time in my little uh, dungeon here uh, up in Sydney, my, my home's up in Sydney. And when everything got shut down um, with COVID, we made the decision to, uh, to come back home to be closer to family because we were uncertain of how things were going to go. Um, and with that, uh, just trying to stay in touch with all the athletes with Melbourne United. Uh, we've been pumping the programs out, all the strength and conditioning programs for each of the guys. They've been doing a lot of homework in, in you know, training in in their own homes and backyards and whatever they could find. So it's actually been a really busy time. Uh, I feel that even though you're away from from the people that you work with and you, you can't have uh, the physical contact and, and meetings that you normally do you're forever online you know you, you, you're calling people you, you're doing things to make sure that they're good and, and they're preparing so it's been a pretty busy time And initially when I first came back to Sydney there was quite a few odd jobs around the house so I became a, a carpenter and a cleaner and a painter and all that type of crap which is which you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful to those industries, but I tell you what, I have a a big, big respect for them because after you spend weeks and weeks of painting the house and repairing this or repairing that, it you feel you feel it much more than you might in, in a gym session sometimes. So it's, it's been a good good time, but I do miss uh, do miss being around the guys and around uh, the team. So hopefully that that uh, will come back to some normality soon.
0: and yeah you're 100% right there as well you um you know good or bad you you just you find out the things that you've been putting off for a long time which you probably wish you could have been able to put off for a little bit longer (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right but
1: it's it's been good it's been good to be home um you know around family uh had some uh some things to get done with family my mum had surgery on both uh knee and heart which was uh Wow. You know, one was planned and one wasn't, but she's all good, and, and so I've I've tapped into my my rehabilitation days and learning from great physios and docs to you know to to help Mum sort of get back to on, on her feet. So you, you're forever trying to uh, find things to do, and and I'm the type of guy I can't sit still for more than a day, so I've got to keep going. I've got to keep doing something.
0: Yeah, I know the feeling, mate. It's um, yeah, it has been. It's actually been a, quite a busy period, you're right, like there's, a, there are a lot of things, you, you find yourself doing a lot of stuff that's probably not what you usually do to achieve the same goal as what you're usually trying to achieve as you've touched on with, you know, for you staying in touch with players and making sure they're accountable and adapting to whatever equipment they have access to. So with the um, the boys from United, how have they gone in regards to adapting to change and, and still getting their, their workload done?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, we had a, you know we had a few bits and pieces you know in terms of equipment we could give the guys and uh, we didn't have a lot obviously but uh, we did what we could with that respect and And i think initially it was a challenge for not only the, the athletes but for everyone involved to to all of a sudden go remotely with no uh, contact and you on your own and you know you got to work through that training load um, so that was a, a bit of a challenge but i think everyone got adapted to it and became used to it fairly quickly in that um, you know Guys were improving getting some some uh, good progress done with their training and And then with that you you look at things you go. Okay. Well, it's good to see that that's happening But now we have the flip side of it where you're not certain when the season will start at least at that stage we weren't. Yeah. So you don't want to sort of go overkill and, and say, well, okay, I'm going to be training this way, but still have another six, seven months before the season starts. So very
0: hard I to, try- to describe training yeah. loads and, and volume. Absolutely. And of stuff. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I tried to be mindful of that, and so we started conservatively with an approach of, of how many times a week we wanted guys training, and and you know continuing on a path and then in recent times it's been announced that the NBL will start December 3rd or thereabouts depending on how the situation is. So you've got a bit of a timeline then when you can actually uh, plan a bit more so I know it's been about three months since everyone's been away from each other but uh, recently uh, a few weeks ago Melbourne uh, United has started a, a training session a week uh, so Wednesdays was a day where the guys could come in, get some weights work done in the gym, and then some court work as well. And so the guys have been really good with that, uh, transitioning from the home programs to, to that. And that has now slowly increased uh, to a couple more sessions a week uh, in July. So I think all in all, when you look back, it's been a good, uh, good sort of transition from training each day and, and having access to all these facilities to nothing at all, just at home, and now back slowly getting into into what they're used to.
0: And how have you found um, the players in regards to maintaining strength or movement patterning and stuff like that, coming back into the gym? You know, A couple of questions I've been getting a lot lately is, or comments, I guess, is for people, particularly in the last week or two, that are getting back in the gym is they're finding that they've lost a lot of strength, which you know, obviously if you're not lifting as a heavy load and stuff like that, it, it's going to be the case. But in regards to... The, to the players, have they managed to at least maintain some form of strength across most movements? Or what what have you seen there?
1: Yeah, really good question. Initially, I would have thought um, exactly what you said would be true. You know, you'd lose a lot of strength and power because you're not lifting the same load. But over the last, uh, let's say four, five, six years, I've really found a good way to impart similar loads, not essentially the same, using body weight and bands and different bits and pieces around, around that type of uh, training. And I had a really good comment from one of our players. He was doing uh, performing a deadlift with a band and, and he sent me a text through saying unbelievable how much his glutes and his, and his hamstrings were feeling it the next day, even though, you know, he was doing a deadlift with, with a band, which, which, you know, was a fair sized band, but uh, wasn't a, a deadlift with 100kg on it or whatnot. So yeah. I think it's been really positive to hear some feedback from some of the guys saying they've been able to maintain at least a certain level of strength. It might not be the best they've had, but they haven't come back in and felt, you know, that they've lost a lot. So that's that's been uh, rewarding, definitely.
0: Yeah, particularly with, as you mentioned, with bands, there's a lot of movements that where, you know, by using that band... Um, as you know, like you, the resistance curve like kind of changes a bit. So all of a sudden you're getting resistance at a stage of the rep where you're not used to having it. So the trans, translation across to back to using the barbell or whatever, for example, you know, using like a band on a, um, on a dumbbell chest press around your back or something, all of a sudden your lockout on a bench is stronger than what it was before and, and things like that. So I reckon there's been a heap of benefit for a lot of people that have just kind of been stuck in their ways of training in very similar way over and over
1: exactly then exactly and and i think with bands it's you mentioned it just then it's it's unique how the human torque curve works in a typical resistance moving with a barbell but you see with a band it gets harder as the band gets longer Mm. so you typically it's working in 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 a different way than you normally would find in in a weight room but i find depending how you set up the exercise and you mentioned there with you know like a band push-up Typically in a push-up, the hardest point, as we both know, isn't at the top when your arms are straight, but with yeah. a band it is, you know, yeah. and, and essentially, okay, that might not be working the same uh, physiological uh, patterning that you'd like to achieve in, a, in an athletic um, uh, position, but you can maintain some good and even build some really good strength and even power through that work. So I was pretty pleased with that. I, I tried to keep it fairly simple. Um, obviously, you know you don't want it lost in translation when guys are at home and all of a sudden the band's around their their, their foot or something, and it should be up here or around their shoulders. Yeah. So try and keep it simple. Um, the guys were really receptive to that. Uh, got working, but I know the first weight session they had back at uh, the facilities that we have there at MSAC, um, they were pleased. You know they were pretty uh, chuffed and happy to actually you know lifting a load instead of just a band so it it had everything has its place
0: 100 percent. now for someone like yourself who's um who's had a, a very you know a fantastic professional career so far um where did your whole passion for strength and conditioning start and i guess having been in the industry for some time now where where does that passion come from now like what what is your purpose kind of what's your why that when you wake up in the morning you're still motivated to get out and and continue to further your own career.
1: I appreciate the question, mate. I, I think it started back when I was about ten years old, and I forced my mum and dad to buy me a boxing bag. So I was I was always involved in sports. I loved playing all sorts of sports. You know, basketball was one I tried to pursue. wasn't very good at from a skill point of view. So I thought there, there should be something I can do around basketball athletes that can help them improve, and that's you know something that I fell into. Literally with with strength conditioning, found out about the uh, tertiary qualifications and all that stuff to go with it. Um, I think, Danny, you know, each of us have something that we're really passionate about. And sometimes we're, you know, unfortunately people don't get a chance to to follow that passion. And I learned quite a long time ago, um, I was in a different industry, computer industry, and I absolutely hated it. I, I could not. I could not stand it, but uh, and, and this is no disrespect to anyone working in that industry it 's a great industry, but at the time it was very new, it was coming through, and uh, a lot of development and I uh, remember thinking to myself "Geez, i can 't see myself being forty and, and, and in this industry it 's just not going to work mm. and so I started to look for, for different uh, tertiary qualifications and and what what would I need to do to work in sports? And and it sort of, you know, came up and I saw uh, okay, great. And at the time, um, I found a niche that uh, I found that uh, in the in the basketball there, there was people working with basketball, obviously, and and good people and qualified people. But I found that not every team had someone uh, working with them on a full time basis. So cut kind a of long story short, I, I just kept at it, kept at it and uh, did all the necessary things I needed to do from an academic point of view. I dedicated a lot of free time. Um, I know that's a contentious issue these days, you know, coming out of uni or, or college or, or TAFE, people giving up their time for free. And I know it's it's something that, uh, you know, essentially we all need to get paid for for the time we give up. But I do believe there's, there's part of that that needs to be you know, you need to dedicate some time, uh, and show, uh, whether it's an organization professional or sub-professional or amateur that you're committed. So I, I did that. I worked for free for two years and slowly built that up. And I think these days, you know, when I get up in the morning, I mean, to be brutally honest, we only really have one, one chance in life. You know, sometimes we get a second chance. I'm lucky in that I was in an industry for five years that I didn't like. I got out of it at a later age. I I didn't go to uni until I was 26, 25, 26. finished my degree by the time I was 30 and had not one minute of experience at the age of 29, 30 in in the industry. So how, how do you make that work? You've got to separate yourself from everyone else. As we know that there's a lot of fantastic practitioners out there. but There's also people that, you know, um, aren't the best. And, and so you've got to find a niche for yourself. You've got to find some, something that you're good at. And as I was once told, you know, if you, if you keep your head down and you bum up and you work hard and you keep at it, you know, people will notice what you're doing and eventually things will happen. Um, and hopefully you're around the right people that, that allow you to do that and progress your career, which, which I've been fortunate to be part of. So I know it's a bit of a long-winded question, uh, long-winded answer, sorry, but um, hopefully you know, that, that's, that's how I've sort of pursued my career and, and never stop learning, never stop trying things new. You know, We don't know everything. We always uh, try and get better and improve each day
0: and, and that's how I've, I've, I've approached it. Love that answer. and couldn't agree more. I talk about that a lot in regards to whatever industry or whatever field you're in, like being open to constantly learning more and never getting complacent with where you're at, even as an athlete, I think is just so important. And, and it's, it's always, in the end of the day, it's always a difference between those that end up having a long, successful career and, and actually doing the most and getting the most out of themselves Um, and those that that kind of just fall off. So that's awesome, mate. And, and in regards to working with basketballers, um, you know, I grew up playing basketball myself. I moved to Melbourne for basketball for a couple of years. And and now, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people listening to the show that are huge fans of basketball and including myself, I still get down to as many games as I can. And, um, you know, I, I get pretty interested. I've done a fair bit of work with, you know, basketballers in off seasons, footballers, different athletes and stuff. And in your experience, what, what do you think are the, the fundamental um, physical strengths that you find are uh, kind of most important for a basketballer to perform well on court? Because, you know, it's obviously a bit different to, you know, each sport has their own, their own areas where, they, where the athlete needs to be strong in or have endurance in and stuff. So I know it's a pretty broad question, but what are some of the main areas of physical strength that you think are, are necessary as a, as a basketballer to do well? Yeah,
1: good question, Danny. You've got to start with the athlete. You've got to look at how they move. And typically, if you look at a basketball athlete, I don't know the exact percentages right now, but you'd have to say a lot of the time this, this uh, the athletes are uh, positioned in a semi-squat uh, position, whether it's a, it's a ready position to shoot or whether it's a defensive position. So your knees are flexed, your hips are flexed, your trunk is a forward tilt, your head's usually up. So you don't have great spinal alignment. You might be looking up towards the rim you know, for a rebound uh, your ankles are flexed as well, so you're forever in that in that position, which causes a lot of different things to happen around the body, as we both know. Tight hip flexors, um, you know, uh, back positioning, uh, how the how how they are in that er- that area, and from that now, how are you going to develop someone who doesn't have um, possible good you know good balance of strength between? Anterior, posterior, between front and back, between left and right. Um, if you if you look at the, the dimensions of a court, it's approximately 32 metres. You don't have players really stretching out, hitting maximum velocity yeah. um, because the court's too short. You know, the court's too short. So it starts with the athlete. How do they move? Can they squat? What happens to their ankles, knees, hips, back, neck when they squat? Can they lunge? And what happens to those same joint areas? uh when they lunge, um, how is their ankle range of motion? How is their shoulder range of motion? All these things. So, so you assess an athlete, and then in my experience, you know, you can get a basketball player that's five foot seven all the way through to seven foot two, seven foot three. Mm. You know, so you have different lever lengths that you've got to work with. Yeah, and, and so I think that's the best way to sort of start, and then you develop the weaknesses first, everyone wants to jump in, you know, if you're strong, pushing, you know, want to jump in a bench press and where you go or a squat, you're pretty strong. But but what I've found is you, usually the posterior chain is the weakest link. You know, your, your glutes, yeah. your hamstrings, not necessarily the calves because, the, you know, a lot of jumping and running, you get a lot of calf work, but those glute, string, uh, sorry, glutes, hamstrings, and lower back regions are the ones that I try and look at first. And then you develop that and get that stronger to balance up the, the anterior. Not always the case, you know, everyone's different. So you've got to uh, make sure you, you don't just sort of, okay, I'm going to work yeah, the posterior and that's it. You know, you've got to look at the, the player, like I've said, but um, I found that. And then secondly, running, you know, uh, their the mechanics in running, unlike say someone like a sprinter that that, focuses on that form all the time because of the, the requirements for his or her sport. Uh, you're typically having a basketball athletes, uh, like I said, they're not stretching out fully, so so their running patterns are uh, essentially not uh, great in that form that you have a lot of uh, wasted energy, if you will, okay? Yeah. Where, where you're not getting full range of motion through the running patterns. so. Um, that is an area, and I've also found some guys run on their toes, so they don't really get that glute activation, hamstring activation, and that power drive through hip extension working.
0: So yeah. it's funny, that's. I'm sure, I'm sure you would um, you would see the same thing um, over and over as well, particularly being in gyms and just people in general. Like it's it's so common um, for people to just have such, I guess, weak posterior chain, particularly through the hammies and glutes, and and, you know, largely due to the fact that the, the hip flexors are so tight on so many people because we spend so much time in that contracted position sitting down or whatever. But, I mean, there's so many, particularly lower back problems. Like a lot of clientele that I work with that have any form of, you know, tight lower back or um, recurring hamstring injuries. Like a lot of the time I've found it's just, I know everyone, everyone's different in each case. Is a, You got to take it as an individual, but it's so common that it's just that overworked and tight hip flexors um, weak and lazy hamstrings and glutes and you know in theory it's a pretty simple solution really but and then it's obviously a matter of um, implementing it but it is such a common thing regardless of whether it's an athlete or not.
1: It is it is and, and you know what I mean we all sit down at some point in, during the day and it's probably one of the worst things for us because of that positioning you know and uh, when you have having a sport like basketball that you're in a semi-contracted position like you mentioned those areas become weaker and tighter and and you've got to attack that. So I found that that has worked really well. Uh, and then you've got to just take in the different dimensions, you know, someone that's seven foot six foot 11, you know, over 210 centimeters with so many, uh, with, with long levers, I should say, um, how do you, you know, I've had cases, how do you get an individual that's 18, 19, 20 years old and so thin uh with not a lot of muscle mass on the frame um getting getting some muscle size on them increasing hypertrophy on those on those athletes because their levers are so long and it's a difficult thing to do so it it becomes a, a challenge but i think over the course it's like anything repetition right approach good nutrition uh good recovery and consistency over time reaps
0: results yeah that's awesome love that answer it, and you mentioned age. Then um, something I wanted to ask you today is you know, for those that are listening, and maybe it's a parent that's listening, or or it could even be the athlete themselves. For for those that are just being introduced to the world of resistance training and strength and conditioning as a junior athlete, um, what what's your advice there in, in regards to what they should be focusing on from the get go, right from the start? I mean, you and I are probably both wasted years of doing the wrong thing early days and 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 made all the mistakes in the book which is why we're able to help so many people now but in your opinion what's where should where should someone start if they're just starting to to get into that sort sort of physical strength um at a young age
1: yeah it's a good question too Danny you know when you work with kids you're always mindful of, of ensuring that uh if it's some type of resistance work and it doesn't have to be necessarily with weights, um, mm-hmm. resistance work can be bands or body weight or whatever the case may be. You've got to be mindful of, of what level of maturation they're at. Um, and I think the best place to start is, you know, there's, there's governing bodies like the ACA that put out guidelines. I'm sure there's a lot of others within Victoria and New South Wales and states across the, the country that put out guidelines in terms of, uh, you know, depending on what, age the individual is at and, and what guidelines should be followed uh within anything uh, that they're participating with training now on that side of things i didn't start i didn't start lifting weights until i was 19 20 and, and i was you know typical sort of that that beam pole, you know <laughs> appearance i was very thin i was the same height that i am now so 188 centimeters and and I found it very difficult when I started with weights, but I think what you've got to do is you have to uh, incorporate body weight training at some stage. So, you know, simple things like a, a body weight squat, a push up. I know pull-ups are difficult for, for, for some kids at, at an age, depending on their makeup, but you know, some type of rowing movement to balance things up and you've got to have a little bit of fun with it. You know, and you can't just sort of get in there and let's go and let's train. You've got to make it a, a fun and, and, and enjoyable thing for for the the children participating so body weight type of work with some type of resistance and a gradual overload that doesn't affect the child's maturation or or in any way put uh, a stress on on load-bearing joints is the best way to go and i found in my experience when you when you take that approach then you'll get a natural development of strength that occurs you know running jumping pushing pulling different movements that we all do uh, throughout the course of life and, and and in our activities and then you can introduce uh certain movements in the gym if the child has gone through uh that stage and has reached maybe 17 18 the growth plates have closed um there's no um, stress on any you know, spinal loading or spine joints or anything there that's going to cause issues, that's when you can really start to build an need. Now that's not to say, I mean, there's examples all across the world that you can't uh, start weights with kids at a younger age. Absolutely, but it's got to be a case-by-case situation where you're making sure that that child is safe and progressive, uh, progressing sorry, uh, properly.
0: Yeah, and it, I agree. And, and you look at, um, you know, you use the example of the body weight stuff. Like even even when we're not talking about kids, you are talking about those that are entering the gym uh, relatively fresh. Like it's it's like uh, it's like being on your rails and getting in the in the car for the first time to drive, and you take a, a you know, V8 supercar for a drive for, for a test. Like there's so many people that can't even squat with their own body weight properly, but then are loading up with barbells and and, and stuff like that, which is just a recipe right. disaster.
1: Exactly, Danny. And that's one of the, I mean, really, we're in the gym to get better and to avoid injuries, not to get injured. So obviously, sometimes that happens. But if you have a look at someone's squat, like you just said, and, and the knees are going this way and the hips are going this way and the ankles are doing this, and why would you want to load it? I mean, yeah. the first thing gonna, that's going to happen is something's going to pop, you know. So mm. I think the key to it, irrespective of age, is whether you're a, Obviously, we just mentioned with children, but even if as an adult, you've got to look at that and then progress it. And I mean, perfect example. You're on your L's and you give the keys to a Ferrari. (laughs) It's it's all over, you know, you're gone. So um, (laughs) I think safety is the best way, cautious approach.
0: Um, Now, something that that I've been asked a lot, for those that haven't probably taken the whole, uh, I guess, isolation lockdown period, as a chance to continue to kind of grow on themselves or whatever, and have stepped away from training and probably gotten a bit lazy, which I'm sure, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people probably have done. Um, mm-hmm. The question I'm, question I'm getting is how how to find that motivation to get back into it when they just, you know, can't be bothered, to be honest. So a question I had for you, and this kind of relates to to both of these scenarios is what's your advice to to an athlete you're working with, with when they're coming um, out of an injury? So say they've been, out of the game for a while, haven't been training or or doing much in the gym for a while and and they're starting to get back into it. What's your approach in terms of motivation or or what their mindset should be like getting back into it when they haven't done anything?
1: Let's be better than you were before, before your injury. Now, to me, injuries are always going to happen irrespective of how cautious and how great your approach is, things happen. Obviously, we want to minimise those injuries, but if you have let's say an injury and uh, the athlete's out well what, what's to say that that athlete couldn't be stronger more explosive more mobile with that particular joint and physically overall than what they were before the injury you've got x amount of uh, weeks so much time depending on what type of knee injury it is but let's just say i've had some experience with uh acl rehabilitations, quite a few actually, in, and you've got at least, well, nine, 10, 11, 12 months, okay? So, during the time of that injury, obviously you've got to go through the surgery, you've got to go through all the rehabilitation process and stages and make sure that athlete is, is, is checking everything off before the next stage, and that takes a lot of time. Well, why can't you be you know, stronger with your upper body, more explosive with your other leg, more explosive uh, with your movement patterning, um, better core stability, better uh, body composition, uh, better condition, so that that process, that injury process is two part. You're repairing and rehabilitating the injured site, but you're also using that time frame to be a better athlete with better attributes physical attributes, that is, yeah. um, and that goes into skill as well um, through the course of time. So an injury to me is unfortunate. No one wants them. Believe me, I've had a few and I hate them. I can't stand when I get injured, so I'm trying to be careful the older I get, but um, but it's, it's a time frame where you can utilise to actually improve yourself even more so. Because at the end of the day, if we're talking athletes, uh, limited window, you know, how long can you stay, uh, if you're a professional athlete, how long can you stay in that window of being a professional athlete? Um, if you're an amateur athlete, you know, okay, you might uh, be doing playing the sport for the love of it. And that's great. But uh, at some point in time, you know, we all age and, and things slow down and get different and change a little bit. But to me, it's opportunity and, and, and you've got to really grab it with both hands. So, and injury is an opportunity to improve
0: unreal fantastic and you know I wanted to ask you as well you know regardless of um, of how good of a basketballer they were in terms of physical um, ability who who do you think has probably been the best athlete that you've worked with with over the years Wow great question <laughs> quite a
1: few of them quite a few of them look um, the names that crop to mind in immediately when you talk athletic ability. Um, the first and foremost is Jason Smith. He was, he was unbelievable. I don't know if you recall Jason Smith, ex boomer an and player and NBL athlete as well. Uh, CJ Bruton's another one, um, you know, David Barlow, who's still with United is another one. I've known Dave for shit, 17 years, 18 years and as a junior coming in, he was a phenomenal. And still is a phenomenal athlete. Uh, on, I always look
0: at before you get going. There, just touching on Dave, like I, not even really known him personally, just from seeing him, um, you know, throughout throughout the week in the gym. I mean, it's the thing that stuck out with me straight away is how professional he is, on how seriously he takes his physical preparation. Like he's in the gym an hour, two hours before you guys are even lifting weights, and then everyone's gone, and he's back there stretching. And I mean, that was it was a good, um, it was it was really cool to see the work that goes into how he keeps himself so physically fit for, for so long.
1: Yeah, absolutely correct. And, and this is something I think that, that happened for Dave quite a while ago um, when he was a member of the Sydney Kings. And as I mentioned with Jason Smith, um, Jason had a pretty bad knee injury. And I think Dave was obviously, uh, you know, could see the, the process that Jason went through with that injury to get back on the court. And that sort of stuck with him, you know, being a professional, you really have to apply yourself, like with any other industry, you've got to apply yourself to be the best and to the best that you can be um, and, and to improve and to keep that longevity. And the reason why I mentioned both Jason Smith and CJ Bruton from, from years ago, both of them had pretty serious knee injuries that they came back from. Uh, especially with Jason, um, he was written off. I think he was 30 or 31 at the time and, and it looked like he was going to be done with his career. Well, that's at least what everyone was saying. And, and if, you, if you don't mind, I can, I can share a story with you where he um, had the knee surgery and uh, we were playing against Wollongong Hawks back then on a Friday and he had the surgery on a Thursday. And uh, he basically was there on the Friday night with a, a cast going from hip to knee and, and uh, sorry, from hip to ankle and said to me, when are we in the gym? <laughs> and I laughed and I said, are you are kidding me? Um, you just had surgery, but he was great for my career. And, and uh, you know, the next day we we're in the gym and we started assessing and, and getting things planned for him to, to be able to, to go into the national camp, which was exactly 17 weeks away. And he made the, you know, he made the team, went to the Olympics, and did everything, and and went to the following NBL season, and won a championship, and MVP of the league. It was unbelievable. And CJ was the same. CJ came in with with uh, you know a big knee injury to the to the Sydney Kings at that time when I was there, and uh, you know <laughs> it was great. We butted heads, and he was he was fantastic. Came back from that injury and really you know cemented himself as one of the great all-time players in the league and, and those two guys were beneficial and and greatly helpful to me in my career uh, along with guys like Dave and even now I look at the guys I'm working with in Melbourne United you know uh, Mitch McCarron had off-season surgery last year and was able to uh, come back and really improve his his body composition his strength and power all those things Chris Golding um, coming off some, some knee issues the year before and, and from what I hear currently uh, with uh, the Melbourne United physios is at the best he's ever been. So I, I think it comes down to the person. Um, I could rattle off hundreds of more names yeah. of people that, that I've, I've found that have been really good in that space. But I think when it's driven by the athlete, it makes our job Danny so much easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. 100%. That's awesome, mate. Thanks for sharing that. And um, just, just one more question before we wrap it up. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, All good. Now, this is, this is just asking you personally. This has nothing to do with, with athletes or whatever. But if you could only do three exercises for the rest of your life, what do you reckon they would be? Wow. Ooh, let me
1: think about this. Single leg pistol. Um, Got to be a pull-up, some type of variation of a pull-up or a row. And... (laughs) It's hard when you're going to squeeze it into three. Um, And uh, look, I want to say an upper body movement, then I want to say an explosive movement. Okay, maybe a medicine ball. I'll I'll be a good bloke and give you four. (laughs) okay well that's easy then. okay some type of pushing movement so a very i mean push-up if you've got no equipment you can do a push-up but there's so many variations of of a push-up and then some type of explosive jump a tuck jump a split jump where you're getting movement you know explosive uh, jumping off the ground explosive movement off the ground but if i had to keep it to three i'd probably keep it to the the pistol because i think in terms of lower leg uh strength if you can do a single leg pistol with your butt touching the ground i mean that's a pretty strong limb that you're going to yeah. have there so you're really building a wrong, lot of bases. yeah and although there's no posterior chain um direct involvement in there the hamstrings are still working to a certain degree the glutes are obviously working uh it, it can be a predominant quad exercise but depending how you do it the pull-up i think Uh, you know, traditionally, we're always going to be stronger in in pushing movements, because that's what we do from birth, you know, we're pushing, or we're writing, or we're throwing a ball, or where everything's in front of us. So some type of retraction work and posterior chain work for the upper body. And then it's great to be strong, but you've got to be able to use that strength and explode. So, you know, uh, eccentric control, jumping, landing, getting off the ground would have to be important.
0: Awesome, nice mate. Nicely done, Nick. Um, th- <laughs> Thank
1: you. First us, time mate. I've ever been. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I was just going to say first time ever ever that one uh, has ever uh, has ever uh, posed that question to me. Three's hard. Four, I got done, but yeah, three's hard. But
0: uh, no, prepared. really appreciate it,
1: Danny. Thank you. Sorry, mate.
0: You'll be prepared for next time now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really appreciate it, Danny. Thank you for, for reaching out and, and getting this uh, organised. Uh, it was good to to chat over the things we did and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime.
0: Yeah, hopefully in person sometime soon, mate. Um, again, thanks, thanks for coming on the show, mate. And for everybody that's tuned in to today's episode, if you've enjoyed the, the show today, which I'm sure you have and got some value, please do take a, a screenshot of this episode on your phone and, and post it up on your Instagram story for me. And and uh, I'd love to get some feedback on the show. So thanks again, Nick, and um, hopefully I'll see you soon, mate.
1: Thank you, Danny. You take care and uh, definitely we'll catch up soon.